Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, open up to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And man, uh, this, this set of passages is, is incredible. I only have about three hours, so I'll do my best in three hours to make sure that we get through all this. But this, this text has been so, so meaningful for me over the years and how God has used it in my life to help me understand who Jesus Christ is. And I hope this morning, if you have any question about who Jesus is, that this morning that God will use this text as he has in my life to help you understand the person of Jesus Christ and why we can count on the works of Jesus to be enough for our salvation. So will you stand with me and we're going to read Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. And I'll give you a little background once we're kind of through the, after we read the passage Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who, were once, who, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil do, deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this was given by revelation, and it will be understood by revelation. And so will you come by your spirit now and unveil your son to us, that we could clearly see who Jesus is, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place this morning, for what you already have done. And may you get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. So there are a, a ton of important questions in life, lots of different kinds of questions that we have, you know, where did all this come from? What am I, what is my purpose in life? You know, those are huge questions that we all encounter in life. And then, of course, we have the, 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 the really big ones like, could God pick up or uh, make a rock so big he couldn't pick it up? And of course, did Adam have a navel? So those are, those are also huge questions that we have. But, but the most important question that we will ever encounter in life is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That is absolutely the most important question because 
what we believe about that question, how we answer that question, how we apply that into our lives is of eternal importance. It is absolutely vital to your, to, to your eternity, where you will spend eternity. Every other question pales in comparison to that question, who is Jesus? And that's why during his earthly ministry, Jesus asked that, that question to his disciples. He said, first and foremost, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and they replied to him, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. Or one of the other prophets. So there was a lot of questions regarding who Jesus was back in Jesus' day when he walked. People didn't fully comprehend who he was. They didn't understand. If they would have asked, he would have told them. If they would have come to him seeking him, he would have unveiled himself to them. But here's the thing is people had their own perceptions of Jesus. Do you know that's not changed? You know, that's the exact same state people are in today. You have various different groups of people who believe various different things about Jesus, very different things. And in fact, the Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael who was the very first creation chronologically, which will be important for you to understand later, that Jesus was chronologically the firstborn of all creation, the first creation, that he was Michael the archangel who came and he, he, he was created by God in the flesh and um, that's who they believe Jesus is. There are the Mormons, they believe that Jesus is Lucifer's half-brother and that he's one of many gods and, and in fact you yourself can become a god one day. That's their understanding of Jesus. The Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man. The Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet less than Muhammad who actually did ascend to heaven, although he did not die. And check this out. Who is coming back again? That's who the Muslims believe Jesus is. What I love about the Lord is that he doesn't settle for who everybody else thinks Jesus is. He goes deeper than that. He asks the personal question. That's cool, but who do you say that I am? Do you know that's what he said to his disciples? Hey, that's cool, but who do you say that I am? And of course, we know how the story goes. Peter, the guy that generally opens mouth to insert foot, he responds in a profound way to this question, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter was in that moment as the spokesperson for the rest of the disciples proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the anointed one, he was the Messiah, he was the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, which is very important for us to understand as well, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, who Jesus is is not something that we can comprehend intellectually. Jesus said, the reason you understand who I am, Peter, is because my Father has unveiled it to you. It's a revelation from my Father. If you and I want to truly understand the identity of Jesus, it has to be a revelation from the Father. You will not understand it in flesh and blood. You will not understand it literally with your human mind. You cannot understand it. And that's why there's so many different, uh, uh, you know, concepts of who Jesus is because 
many, many people come at this uh, with a human intellect, and it doesn't make sense to us. But I'll tell you what, if you read the Bible, there's a lot that doesn't make sense to me. There's tons from my human mind standpoint that go, God, why do you do it like that? Why did you do that? Why did you? <laughs> are you God? He likes to ask me those questions too. Hey, who are you? You know, but, but here's the thing. Jesus is saying, you will never understand who I am unless my Father reveals it to you. So my prayer this morning is that God the Father would reveal God the Son to you and I individually in this place by God the Holy Spirit. Are you guys on, on board with that? You guys want to take that journey? So, so here's the thing. We need to understand a little bit about what's going on in Colossae and why Paul wrote this particular, why the Holy Spirit had him put this particular uh, set of passages in this letter. Now, there, there were a couple heresies going on, and they all related to Jesus. You had a mixed group of people in Colossae who were uh, Jews, and then you had Greeks. So you had different philosophies that were mixed. And, and so the Jews that were there in Colossae were saying, hey, that's cool about Jesus. Jesus is fine, but make sure you keep the law. Make sure you're circumcised. Make sure you keep the festivals. Make sure you do all of that. Because G the works of Jesus Christ are not enough because they don't understand the person of Jesus Christ. Then you had the Gnostics there who were Greek philosophers who, who, who also denied the humanity of Christ. They didn't believe Jesus was, was actually a human being. They thought he was a spirit, an, an angel. And we'll see later in the letter that that's why they worship angels. And uh, so they believe that, only, that God only uh, created um, spirits because spirits are good. But God couldn't have created flesh because flesh is bad. Flesh is sinful. Therefore, God didn't, didn't create anything but what was good, which was spirit. And so what Paul's going to say is, no, no, you, you got it all wrong. You have to understand that God became like us. God came down he inhabited a, a human body so that he could be crucified, so that he could die and raise again from the dead in this body to deliver us from our sin. What the Colossae heresy was, it boiled down to one thing. Jesus Christ is not enough. Jesus Christ is not enough. And so Paul uh, pens this letter for that purpose. Now, He's going to answer this question right away, right up front. Like he's, he, he's already praised the Colossae people for, the believers in Colossae for, 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 for loving God and for having, for having hope and, and faith and love. And, he, and he's prayed for them that they would grow in their faith. That's the first 14 verses. But now as we come to verse 15 through 25, he's going to say, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who Jesus is so we can just take that off the table right away. And then we'll talk about all these other things, these, these secondary issues, but, but we have to understand the first issue is who is Jesus? Who is the identity? What is the identity of Jesus? And so there's seven things. There's a seven-fold description that Paul gives us in these verses about the identity of Jesus. The very first one, if you're taking notes, is Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. In verse 15, he says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. How do we know he's talking about Jesus there? Because if you look back up in verse uh, 13, he's talking about Jesus. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. 
That word image, you can circle that in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. You can circle in your Bible. You can write out in the margin. You can write the word icon. Icon. Image. Icon. Literally, it means the exact reproduction of. Jesus is the exact reproduction of God. Jesus is the exact representation and manifestation of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but aren't we also made in God's image? Are we his icon? Not in the same way. Not in the same way, and we'll see why here in a moment. We are like God. Jesus is God. Two different things. But concept is the same. So the writer in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, gives us a little bit more light into this, this idea of Jesus being the, the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. Jesus is manifest in the flesh to be visible to us, and he is the exact representation and manifestation of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. You want to see God's glory? You look at Jesus. He is the radiance of it. Not only that, the exact imprint of his nature. You want to see how God acts and, and the way that he walks? Look at Jesus. He is the manifestation of God. He does the same things God does. He says the same things God does. He walks the same way God walks. Jesus is the exact image, imprint of God's nature. Jesus isn't just like God. He is the exact imprint of God. Jesus was cut from the same cloth, as it were, that God was cut from. He is cut from the same cloth. He is identical to God. That's why when Philip asked Jesus, he said, hey, hey, show us the Father. And Jesus responds in John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is not an imitation of God. He is a replica of God. He is tangible, visible God in the flesh. However, don't misunderstand what this is saying. This is not saying that Jesus is the Father. We have to make sure that we clear that up a little bit because some people get confused about that. Well, Jesus is God, so Jesus is the Father. No. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is God. But the Father is a different entity, fully God, just like Jesus, and Jesus is fully God, but a different entity. And we, we also have the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, but also a different entity, three in one. Well, that just doesn't make sense. Again, revelation. It has to be a revelation to you. God will unveil that. When I first got saved and I sat under Pastor John for a while, man, I did not believe the Trinity. I had a hard time understanding that Jesus could be God. It was, from my human mind standpoint, it wasn't, listen, that I didn't want to understand. And there's a difference in that. There's a difference because I just didn't understand. But guess what? God unveiled it to me. He revealed it. I, I asked people, I asked tons of people, tell me, I want to believe this, but I don't get it. How could it be that way? You know what happened? I just started reading God's word, and he revealed it to me. It, it, don't feel bad if somebody can't explain it to you because it's beyond this world. 
It's not something that we can understand in a human intellect, but God will give you the understanding if you really want to know. He will. He did that for me, and he'll do that for you. Paul is trying to help us understand that Jesus is God, that he's the exact image, the icon of God, but he is not the Father. He is the Son. Who is Jesus, the image of the invisible God? Secondly, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, this throws lots of people off. The word firstborn, we think chronologically. We think, oh, well, yeah, he's the firstborn, like the first son of God. Of course, it makes sense because Jesus is his only begotten, so therefore he's the first, not creation. That's where the heir is. He is not the first creation of God. He is not the first creation of God. He is the firstborn, yes. But that word can literally mean, you can circle it and write in your Bible, supreme over or first in rank. Supreme over or first in rank. It isn't speaking of chronology here, but it's speaking of rank or position. For example, we see this in the Old Testament where you had the firstborn son. That was a, not only was it chronologically the firstborn, but it was also a position. The firstborn son, the title firstborn, carried with it a double inheritance. You know, carried with it the responsibility and the authority of the family. So literally the father was passing down to everything to the son, and you would have re responsibility for the family name, for everything that you, your family had. That was now become, becoming your responsibility. So it was both chronological in, in the sense of the firstborn, yes, but, but also as a title. And in the Old Testament, if the firstborn son, chronological firstborn son, did something that dishonored the father, guess what? He would lose the title of firstborn, and then he, he, he would give it to somebody else. He'd give it to somebody else. We see this with Reuben. And we, and we see that Joseph's sons be, get the firstborn inheritance. They, they, they're the ones that get it. We saw that with Esau and Jacob, where Esau sold his birthright, not chronological birthright, but his title, his birthright to the title, so that he, uh, you know, Jacob could, could become the, the, the firstborn of that uh, family. It is literally speaking of rank and honor in this particular case. Paul's using it in that terms. He's, he's really, maybe he's quoting even Psalm chapter 89, verse 27, which prophetically says about Jesus, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, Jesus is literally not the firstborn king in the world, is he? But he is positionally the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is positionally in rank the firstborn. He is the king of kings. His kingdom will, will reign forever and ever and ever. Who is Jesus? He is positional firstborn over all creation. Thirdly, we see that he's creator of all things. Verse 16, for by him, all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. One of the biggest questions in life, where did we come from? And it's, it's interesting that uh, people search and search and search for it, and they come up with just all these ridiculous theories about how we, this all came to be, and they believe in preposterous fairy tales about, about how we came to be. Do you know the Bible from day one has been proclaiming to us how this happened? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I would tell you that takes faith to believe for sure. 
But let me tell you something. It takes way more faith to believe that this just spontaneously happened. Not only did, did the world just spontaneously happen, but then somehow a, a life organized itself out of a slew, and, and all of a sudden you have been evolving into this, as complex as this is. Come on. Are you serious? Listen, it takes way more faith to believe that, which, by the way, is taught as a fact, but it's still labeled as a theory. Don't you find that interesting? Because if you, if you, if you take the six criteria to, to make a scientific fact, it fails every one, but yet we teach this in our schools, which is crazy. Just do a little research if you're not familiar with creation and, and, uh, versus evolution, and just look at, just Google, what is the scientific criteria to be able to, to make something a fact. That's why it's a theory, because it fails every one of those. And yet, the, the, uh, almost the, the, the majority of the world believes that we just came from nothing. You're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. This wasn't an accident. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, which brings us to a next question. I, isn't that contradictory to what Paul's saying in First uh, Colossians 1, 15, 1, 16 here? Because did God create the heavens and the earth, or did Jesus? Yes. Exactly. Why? Because Jesus is God. And that's why. And, and so there is no contradiction here. Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also God the Son. John 1, 1, 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is creator of all things, which also uh, helps us understand that that word firstborn just above this can't mean chronological because he created all things. If he created all things, then therefore he can't be Michael the archangel. He cannot be a created being. He's creator. He is the creator. Where's the Holy Spirit and God the Father play a role in this? You know, you have to look at it like this. God the Father, he has the plan. It's, he's the one that brings out uh, you know, the plan, the Son constructs all things, and then the Spirit. The Spirit is the life source. Remember when God created man in, in, in Genesis 1 there? In Genesis 1.27, which, by the way, says, let us make man in our image, plural, three in one. So it says that God blew his breath, blew the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, and he became alive. That was the Spirit of God being blown into Adam, the Spirit of God is the life source of all things. Now, Paul is making this case because uh, the, 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 the Gnostics, their philosophy of dualism, basically, is that Jesus couldn't be God and he couldn't be human. So Paul's going to discount both of those things. Right now, he's saying he's God. He created all things. Did You know, God, who is perfect, created this world, and this world is fallen. And so that's, that's contradictory to the heresy that was being taught in Colossae. Not only that, but we'll see here in a moment that um, God also is, uh, he embodied, uh, uh, you know, the flesh. He became in the body. So we'll see that in a second. But he's, he's contradicting this, this thought. And he's saying, notice that Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, both spiritual and physical. He created everything. He created all the angels. He created all the thrones. He created all the dominions. He created everything that was created, he created. Jesus did. And notice, everything was created through him, but check this out, for him. 
So you might be wondering, like, hey, what is my purpose? You're, you're, you, who are you living for? You shouldn't be living for yourself. Because this tells us right here that we, we ought to be living for Jesus. We were created for Jesus. So, you know, when we finally come to that place and we bow our knee to Christ, we, we get to that place where we go, oh, man, I need you, Lord. It's like we're home. It's like we're home because now we have been, uh, we, we're, we're now fulfilling what it is that we've been created for. We've been created for Jesus. It's for him. We exist solely for him. And sadly, many, many people miss that memo. Many people miss that memo, but hopefully you won't miss it this morning. We exist solely for the purpose and the glory of Christ, him alone. Not only is Jesus the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, but Jesus is also sustainer of all things. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, the, the whole concept of Jesus being before all things, uh, later in this, in this verse it says that Jesus is preeminent. The idea is that he is before everything. Before anything was, Jesus was. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus speaking says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the, begin the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is preeminent. He is before all things, and, you know, he holds all things together, and he will bring all things to an end one day. Jesus himself, he, he, he is preeminent, and he holds all things together. That preeminency makes him, it gives him the capacity to be sustainer of all things. You know, um, if Jesus wasn't sustainer of all things, if he wasn't holding all things together, our world will, would dissolve into chaos. Do you know that? Our world would completely dissolve into chaos. Why do you think that our earth doesn't just veer right into the sun? Why do you think you were pl placed on a life-inhabiting planet that has everything you need to survive, to live? It's because Jesus put you there. He's holding the universe together, folks. One day, in the, in the uh, tribulation period, the Bible says the sky is going to roll up like a scroll. It's like Jesus let his hands off for a second, just like, hey, let me show you what happens. Whoa, hey, hey, no, 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 let's not do that. You hold it all together, Lord. Jesus is holding it all together. Maybe the issue in your life that's wrecking you is because you're not trusting that Jesus is holding it all together. You're trying to hold it all together. That doesn't work. You can't hold it all together, but Jesus can, so you need to trust him. You need to put your faith in him. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus upholds the, the, the universe by the word of his power. No wonder the wind and the waves obeyed him. He holds all things together. And it's by him that all things continue in uh, being held together. Adam Clark said this. He said, hence... God as preserver is as necessary to do the continuance of all things as God the creator was to their original production. If Jesus wasn't holding us all together, folks, this thing would just, just become chaotic. Who is Jesus? He's not only sustainer of all things, but he's also the head of the church. Look, he is the head of the, the body, the church. Jesus isn't some angel that was sent to minister as a ministering spirit to the church. He's the head of the church. Who is the church? Who is the church? The church is we, we are the church. The church is not a building, it's people, it's a body, right? Jesus is the head of that body. Jesus is to the body as 
to the body of Christ as our brain is to our physical body. He's the head. He's the one that directs. He's the one that leads. He's the one that guides. He, he's the one that orchestrates everything that's supposed to be happening. Do you know what happens when your brain starts talk, stops talking to your body? You know what happens that uh, if your right and your left arm aren't working in perfect unity because they're responding to the brain waves, to your brain signaling, messengers saying, hey, you need to do this and you need to do this, you wouldn't be able to do anything. You know that? You'd just be a blob. Literally, you would just fall into a blob and you would, you, your body is upheld and it is doing everything that it can do by the head, by the brain. The brain is the master mind. It's the one that tells your body what to do. And when things go wrong, in the, you know, when things go wrong, it's a result of the, an, an, in response to the, the brain. The signaling is blocked somehow. The brain's not sending the message. There is something wrong with that signal. The same thing is true for the body of Christ. When we are not in perfect unity, we're not walking in unity together, it's not because the brain isn't sending the message. It's because the body stopped responding to the brain. The body stopped responding to the head. There is a loss of connectivity with Jesus. He is the head of his church. Sixthly, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning from the first, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. How did Jesus become the head of the church? By being the firstborn from the, the dead. That's how. When Jesus came and he gave his life up for you and I because we were distant from God, and we'll see this in a second, we were literal enemies of God. We were, we, we, there was a gap between you and God. Jesus came to fill that gap. His blood was shed on your behalf so that you could be made right with God. And he did that by way of the cross. But if Jesus wouldn't have been resurrected from the dead, his sacrifice would not have been acceptable to God. That is the evidence of Jesus being a, 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 a sacri a, an appropriate sacrifice to the Father is the fact that he rose again from the dead and he is the firstborn from the dead. Not chronologically. Other people were raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Elijah raised people from the dead. But when Jesus came... And he became the firstborn from the dead, literally being the, the, the perfect sacrifice that we needed. And that was the, the seal on him that he was enough for us. It's the fact that he rose again from the dead. And Paul goes on to say that he is pre, he, that he, in everything he might be preeminent. There's not a single thing that Jesus is not first in. Jesus, you love God. Why? Because he first loved you. Everything you do in life is a response to God. You're not, you're not blazing a trail. He blazed the trail for you. Everything you do is a response. Therefore, our response always ought to be, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You did this for me. You gave me this connection. You did these things before me. God is going before you, and he's behind you, and he, was, he is, he is um, you know, making his plan come available to you, but he is doing it all. And when, we, when, we're, when we're sensitive enough in the spirit to catch on to what he's doing and, and we're, we're in play, our simple response ought to be, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. How do we know? He, ought to be, he, be, he is first in all things, therefore he ought to be first in your life. How do we know if he is first in our life? Because we can say that all day long. How do we know God is first in our life? Simply look at your life. 
Does it look like the book of Acts? Does it look like the gospel? Do you look like Jesus? That's the question. If God's not first in your life, you definitely won't be. You won't be ever perfect. But listen, you'll be constantly changing and your heart will be, your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. How do I know? How do I know that Christ is first in my life? It all comes down to what does my life look like? What, what does it look like? That brings us to the seventh point regarding this question of who is Jesus? Jesus is reconciler of all things. He is the reconciler of all things, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his deeds in order to present your holy, you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, listen, that doesn't sound like we were ever really kind of good, does it? That doesn't ever, that doesn't sound like we were ever really, you know, not that bad. Like this says there's one category for people that are outside of Christ, and that is separated and at enmity with God. There is no other category. You are separated from God. You are at enmity with God. Yeah, but I'm not as bad as everyone else. It doesn't matter. He said, it's your evil deeds. Your deeds are evil. So, so we have to, we have to break, break through this concept that we're kind of good people. The Bible says we're not really kind of good people. The Bible says that we're really kind of bad people that are really in need of a Savior, a reconciler. Paul says, but you got to understand who this guy is. you got to understand who this reconciler is. He, he actually is the, the, the fullness of God. It would please God that the fullness dwell in him. That God is Jesus and Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. And again, it all comes back to these, to these beliefs that are going on in Colossae. Why is he saying this? Because they need to understand who Jesus is so that they can trust in the works of Jesus. The person of Jesus matters. Who you believe Jesus is because you could never believe that he's enough unless you understand who he is. But again, that, that comes as an unveiling from the word of God who God has given to us. So he is the fullness of God. Jesus is. He's saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is God. He's not just some spirit. He's not just a God, but he is the God. Not only that, but then he, he embodied, he came and he came in the flesh and he embodied one of these things. The Gnostics said couldn't happen. And Paul's saying, oh, no, it did happen. God came down. God, God, Emmanuel, God with us. And not only did he come down, but he came all the way down. He came all the way down, like six feet under kind of down. Like he died for us. He came all the way. He didn't come halfway. What Paul is saying here is that, that Jesus is not just 50% man and 50% God. He's not like 20% man and 80% God. Like he's 100% man and he's 100% God. 100% 100%. How can that happen? I don't know. We'll see in heaven. We'll figure that out in heaven one day. But, but he is plainly, as the scripture teaches us, 100% man, 100% God. This is, this teaching, and if, if you think he's somebody else, then that teaching is a false teaching. 
If it proclaims Jesus to be anybody else, it's a false teaching. So anytime you enter a spiritual conversation with somebody and they start to talk about Jesus and you don't know what Jesus they're talking about, you should ask. Like, <laughs> who do you say that he is, right? Who is Jesus to you? Help me understand what Jesus you're talking about. You're talking about the same Jesus because, again, we can talk about faith but not have the same faith. We can talk about hope and not have the same hope. We can talk about, you know, love and not have the same kind of love, right? We can talk about Jesus and not be talking about the same Jesus. I've had many, many Christians just go, man, I, I came across this Mormon guy and, man, he's, he's talking about the same Jesus. No, he's not. No, he's not. Why? Because you didn't ask the more personal question, who is Jesus? They teach, their teaching on the surface looks to be the same. They're good people, man. Mormons are good people. Jehovah's Witnesses are good people. You know, they're, they're people that really try and live out their lives the way that they, they but they're, they're deceived. Who am I to say that? I'm nobody. But it contradicts the Bible and who they say Jesus is. So you have that conversation. Who is Jesus? Is he a created being? Is he just a God? Or is he the God? Is he Yahweh? Is he 100% God? And then is he 100% man? Notice, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good man, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. God came down. And it says that Jesus reconciled all things in the spiritual and the physical realm by his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus reconciled the shedding of his holy blood becomes the ra ransom for our sins. That word reconcile right there, it literally means to change or exchange. To change or exchange. Jesus he, he, he changed you, but he exchanged his life on behalf of your life. He said, it's the great exchange. You know, I'll give you all my holiness for all your rags of riches. You know, all your, your rags. I'll give you all my holiness for all your sin. He traded for you on the cross. Why did he need to do that? Because the Bible says we were alienated by our sin. That we were enemies of God. Separated. And we needed to have a perfect Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And it says that one day, it's not talking about presently, but one day, positionally right now, as it sits, before God, you are presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. Like, I know it doesn't feel like that, right? I mean, you're feeling like, man, I'm, I need some more change in the Lord. But positionally, as you sit before the Father, He sees His Son. He, you are presented this way to God. And one day when you stand before him, he will see his son and he, he will say, welcome in, man. Come on in. Enter into the, into your, the joy of your rest. And, and yet there is a real sense on a horizontal level that we don't feel that way. We don't want to feel that holiness. We don't feel that blamelessness. We don't feel that. And, and uh, we're not necessarily, we, we still make mistakes. And that's because we're still in this body but one day when we, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, man, we're going to shake this body off. We're going to run right out of this flesh, and we will be transformed and changed in just the twinkling of an eye, and we will be in the Spirit, and we will be perfect. One day that is going to happen for you and I, but it couldn't have happened unless Jesus came, unless he paid the price on the cross for you and I. We find our peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Our peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, 
How do I know that I'm reconciled? That's a great question. And Paul goes on to answer it for us. Notice the word if. That's a condition. If. Salvation itself is unconditional. How do I know that I have salvation? Here's the condition. If. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, that's the way you tell. It's a continual lifelong, not perfect life, but it's, you're pointed towards the direction of Jesus and you're walking towards the direction of Jesus and you're not looking to something else to save you. That was the problem in the Colossae church is that they were starting to look for something else to save them. Paul says, no, no, we got to get back to true north. Jesus Christ is true north. He's the only one that can save you. Salvation is, listen, in, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. There is not another thing that you need. That's why the entire series is called Enough. Jesus is enough for you. How do I know I'm reconciled? Are you continuing in the faith? Are you looking to, for, to something else? Are you thinking that, you know, your good deeds are in some way, shape, or form going to add to your salvation like Jesus' blood isn't enough, but me and Jesus, we can do it, right? Wrong. Only Jesus. You have to have, that's the gospel, that Jesus is enough in and of himself. Listen, many people say prayers. They say the sinner prayer and they say, hey, you know, Lord, I want to receive you. And, and it's all, it's all self-focused. And we all want to be redeemed because none of us really want to go to hell. None of us really want to experience eternal damnation. For all, for all of eternity, we don't want to ex experience that. And so there's a selfishness in it. And we're like, yeah, Lord, I, I want to have that. And I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you, that was me. I didn't want to go to hell, so that's why I accepted Christ, you know? And, but here's the reality is, how do I know that it was genuine and true? How do I know it was genuine and true? How do I know I was reconciled? That word means changed. How do I know? Did you change? Did you change? Or did you just say a prayer, move on, live for yourself, and then whatever, you know, you're, you're saying, hey, Lord, I said the prayer. He's going to say, what prayer are you talking about? Because I didn't hear that prayer. I can't hear insincere prayers. I can't hear prayers that are partial, partial commitments to me. I, I can only hear one kind of prayer when it comes to salvation. And that is, I'm 100% in, Lord. I'm all in with you. Right now, I'm giving my life up to you. Here's the keys. Do whatever you want. That's, that's the only prayer that God can hear as it relates to salvation. If you have not done that, then the Bible says that you are not reconciled. If there's not been any change in your life, then how can you have that confidence of knowing that you're in Christ. Paul said that in, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Are you regenerated? Are you born again? That's the question. Jesus came to reconcile us. And the Bible tells us that, you know, we can't come to the Father, uh, we can't come to Christ unless we're drawn by the Father, John 6, but also, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we don't know how all that works together, but we know that that's the reality, is God draws and I have to respond. And if you haven't done that for real, then today should be the day. Maybe the Lord's drawing you today. Maybe he's saying, hey, you need to get right with me. You need to be reconciled to me because you think you have something that you don't. And I'm not trying to uh, cause you to, to be confused about your salvation, but here's the reality. Eternity is at stake. And I would want to know that I know that I know that I know 
that I'm going to heaven, that I'm, I'm right with God. Who is Jesus? It all comes down to this. Who is Jesus? Is he enough for me? Or do I, do I need to add to what he's done? The sevenfold description of who Jesus is tells me, tells you, he's more than enough. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for this incredible sevenfold description of Jesus, Lord, and how you have used this in, in so many people's lives, including my own, Lord. And I thank, you for, uh, I thank you for inspiring Paul to write this, Lord, that we would have this most descriptive and cherished passage, Lord, that, that speaks about the identity of Jesus, the true identity. And we, we just come now, Lord, and we ask that maybe we're here this morning and we thought we knew who Jesus was, and now we have heard a message that really proclaimed who he is, and Maybe we've not ever really truly accepted him. Lord, that you would by your spirit move in this place and just draw every heart to yourself, Lord. Speak in the life of every person here today, Lord. Do they need you? We all need you. But the question is, is what do, what do we need at this moment, Lord? If it's salvation, will you give us the faith to, to trust in you this morning fully? Your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths, and we believe in our hearts that Jesus raised from the dead will be saved. And so if there's anyone here this morning that has never received Christ, that you can do that this morning by simply calling out to God, saying, Jesus, I believe that you were God, that you came down and, and you lived amongst us, that you died for us, that you rose again from the dead. Because I was a sinner and my sin kept me from you. And I want to receive Jesus as my reconciler today. That he would be my Lord and Savior. And then I would live for, for you the rest of my life. I want to be all in right now. And Lord, we thank you that if we pray a prayer like that, that with all sincerity and faith, Lord, that you will receive us in. You'll by no means cast us out. And so... We just asked if you would, if there's anyone here listening online, listening to the radio, Lord, that you would draw them. And for the rest of us here today, Lord, that we would have had a revelation of who Jesus is and also that revelation would have transformed our lives this morning, that we would never, ever live the same way, that we understand that, that Jesus came down for us too. Would you encourage us this morning? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you empower us to do the work of the gospel? As Paul said, he was a minister of, and we too are, Lord. Will you help us to be faithful in that? And we just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.